Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to ask you a question this morning, um, rather than tell a story. The question I want to ask you is, if in 2023, what what would, if you could just write a script for yourself, what would peace look like? Like, if you could really have peace, what is it that's troubling your soul that if you could change it or rearrange it would bring you peace? Like maybe it's a relationship, right? Maybe, maybe you've got a, a strained relationship with a loved one, a spouse, child, a parent, a coworker, a neighbor. Like, man, if I could just have relational peace, I would know peace. I, I, if I could fix this broken relationship, I would, I would know peace. Maybe peace for you is financial. Maybe there's a mountain of debt. Bills that are paid need to be paid, and it makes no sense how you're going to pay them. And man, if you could just stroke the check and get rid of the debt, that it would bring a measure of of peace to your soul. Maybe for you, it's there. There's a measure of forgiveness, and I'm talking about for yourself. Like maybe, maybe there's a sin in your past that. You know, you kind of know, and maybe you're the only one that knows because you're so ashamed of what you did somewhere in the past. And you, if you could just apply the gospel message that Christ indeed has paid for all of our sins and just apply it to you, you're quick to apply it to everybody else, but it, it doesn't really apply to you. And man, if you could just kind of forgive yourself as you've been forgiven in Christ, like, man, that would bring a, a measure of peace, maybe Maybe for you, it's the calendar. Like, man, there's no white space on your calendar. You're working, you're raising children, you're educating yourself. Like, it's just like, it's six hours of sleep, it's back at it, and it's all day, every day, with, with no end in sight. And you're like, man, if I could just, just get some white space on my calendar, man, I think I would know peace. One of the great offerings of Scripture and of Christianity and of the gospel of Jesus is peace. It is the gospel that brings peace. And so as we wrap up the Beatitudes, and remember I started this series by saying, what if you could have a God-blessed 2023? Like what if God, you really could live under the umbrella of God's blessing? And we started this journey, and so now we pick up where Jesus ends the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, let me uh, unpack this a little bit for you. 
first of all, point number one is the foundation of peace. Like, what is real peace? Maybe it's one of the things I just listed, but but at the heart of it, there's there's some realities to peace. If we're going to have real peace, letter A, we have to have righteousness. There's no peace where there's sin. Let me say that again. There's no peace where there's sin. Peace, peace is less about the absence of conflict, and it's more about the presence of the righteousness of God. It is the righteousness of God that ultimately brings harmony in our lives. That's why the gospel message is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's an incomplete gospel message. The gospel message actually starts with the word repent, which means to turn from your sin and turn towards God and the gospel of Jesus and his righteousness. There's no peace if there's sin. Amen? Which, by the way, that's why, like, this side of heaven, Jesus said, there's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. Why? Because there's going to be sin until Jesus' kingdom is visible and fully and finally established. We're in this in-between time where we're offering the kingdom and people have an opportunity to repent of their sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus. But there will not be complete peace until there's complete righteousness, which leads to letter B, right? The foundation of peace. It's righteousness and letter B, there's truth. We can't have peace built on lies. Remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4 where Jesus is, meets this woman who's drawing water in the middle of the day and uh, if you've been in Christian life for any length of time, like this is the passage that we go to for evangelism. This is how you share the gospel of Jesus. And, and if you remember, when Jesus starts the conversation with this woman, he says to her, go bring your husband. Remember what she says? I don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five of them. And the one you're with now isn't your husband, right? It's, it's Jesus' gentle way of saying, the guy you're with now, you're shacking up with, if we're being honest, okay? And so, I mean, why does Jesus do that? Because there's no peace without truth. Like, we have to assess the situation as it truly is. And in, in leading her to the living water of the gospel, he doesn't preach a you're okay, I'm okay gospel, he preaches the gospel of you are a sinner and you need to repent of your sin and you need to believe in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace starts with righteousness and truth. We can't have peace without those two things. Secondly, peace is built on the God of peace because God is truth and God is righteous. Mankind is without peace because mankind is without God. Our culture is not experiencing peace because our culture has kicked the God of the Bible to the wayside and either replaced that with no God or the God of their making. A different God altogether than the God of the Bible. And therefore... Our culture doesn't know peace. We can't know peace without knowing the true and living God. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach that mankind is, is in a neutral state with the God of the Bible. I remember talking to someone once, and we're talking about um, you know, the need to get right with God. And they were like, well, I don't need to get right with God. I didn't know that God and I had a problem. 
Yes, you and God have a problem. You've rebelled against his holy character, right? What the Bible actually teaches, the Bible actually teaches what we need to be saved from is the character of God. I don't know if you ever thought about that. God in his holiness has to judge sin and we're sinners and and so we're not in a neutral state against God. We're actually in rebellion against our creator. The very first sin when it entered the world, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. The servant comes up and tempts them with what? Did God say? I mean, if the temptation is, can you really take God at his word? The first temptation is really, you really do know better than God. He's like trying to pull one over on you. He's trying to be the cosmic killjoy. I mean, did God say? And then when Adam and Eve sin, they go into hiding, right? I think it's probably f- fight or flight. Kind of kicks in. Some of you here, you're angry with God. Man, you're fighting with him. I can't believe God put up your dukes. You know, let's go at it. Tell you where my money's on. Okay, so anyway, like I'm, I'm betting that boxing match. You're going to lose. Okay, so uh, so that, but then we do that, or we hide. Adam, where are you? Oh, well, you know, I did what you told me not to, and you're hiding from the Lord. So we don't have peace because we don't know the God of peace. Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes it this way in Second Corinthians 13. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. That's when there's peace, right? There's restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and what? peace, right? He'll be with you. We can't have peace without connecting to our creator, our creator God, who himself is peace, which leads to point number three, and this gets us back to the text. Christians are messengers of peace. So in fact, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, kind of circling back to our text, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So first of all, Christians bring the message of peace with God, letter X. Christians bring the message of peace with God. So what is the message of peace with God? The message, which I've been hinting at, the message of peace with God is in our sin, we're in rebellion against God. What we deserve is God's wrath. But God in his grace, and maybe this morning, maybe you're not yet a follower of God, and you're here this morning, you're hearing this message for the first time. Listen, God in his grace is giving you an opportunity to turn, the word, the Bible word is repent, which means 180 degrees, turn from your sin and pursue the creator as he's, and in that he, he will bend your life to follow holiness and righteousness and you will fulfill what he's ultimately created you to do and to be. And so you need to repent of your sin and then believe in God's rescue plan. And what's God's rescue plan? God's rescue plan is that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who died a substitutionary death on the cross while hanging on the cross, God poured out his wrath and hatred for your sin and my sin on Jesus instead of on me and instead of on you. Jesus took God's wrath for our sin on the cross. That's why he hung on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was bearing the punishment and weight of sin. And then they laid his body in a grave, okay? And anybody remember what the Apostle Paul says about the wage of sin? The wages of sin is what? It's death, right? So he bore the consequence of sin, a debt that he didn't owe, but he bore it anyway. He died, but the grave couldn't hold him. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he overcame our last enemy by rising again from the grave. 
And so thereby, he authenticated his claims of being God's rescue plan, the only way back to our creator. And he overcame our last enemy and therefore fulfills the promise that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. And so that one day we will have the hope of a glorious bodily resurrection that we will last when his kingdom is fully come and visible. We will have a new body that's going to last forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. Isn't that amazing? And so when we repent and believe in the gospel, that is the message of the gospel. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says it this way, for if while we were enemies, see, the Bible doesn't teach you in a neutral state with God, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have peace with God because of what God has done for us, done for you, done for me in Christ. Listen, one of the great miracles of the gospel message, it's a lot less that you accept God, and it's a lot more that God accepts you. Amen? That he's accepted you in the person work of Christ. Listen, peace with God is free to you. Salvation from God's wrath is free to you, but it costs God everything. Never lose the wonder of the message of what it means for us to have peace with God, that God has loved us so incredibly in Christ. And so once we have a, once we become a Christian, this overflow of peace with God then leads us to ministry and mission. We now have the glorious opportunity to spread the gospel message, the good news message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. In other words, we, got, we were made peace with God, reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You, you now, if you're, if you're a Christian, you now, letter B, get to point others to how they can have peace with God. You have a mission and a ministry. And last week was just incredible for me. I, I was just so blessed. Pastor Andrew Substitute preached for me, did an incredible job. And uh, I got to go back into 45th Street and just kind of wander the halls. And here's what was so incredible for me. Like, as I wandered the halls last week, I just saw so many of you that serve this church all day. Get here at 8 o'clock in the morning. The worshiping gets here at like 6.15 in the morning, and they serve till 1 in the afternoon. I'm wandering all of them. I'm seeing the same security guard ministries who are making sure we're safe while we worship. I'm seeing the same children's workers served in packed children's rooms over and over. I'm seeing the same people serve the coffee in the parking lot attendants. And they're here all day, and I'm just like, I'm blown away by you that you're like, man, I have peace with God, and so I'm so excited about that. I want others through the ministry of this local gospel outpost serve wholeheartedly so that we can, as a church together, offer the gospel message so that others might have peace with God. Isn't that great? I'm just so blown away by you all. Thank you so much for for serving because we have the opportunity and the ministry to bring the gospel message to the world so that others can have peace with God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, 
on the uh, armor of God, where the Apostle Paul says that as, as Christians we walk in the armor of God. Listen to what he says about the what how what our feet are fitted with. Check this out. Ephesians 6.15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of what? Peace, right? And notice that this gospel of peace, which brings reconciliation between us and God and also others, of course, it's the shoes that we put on. When you put on shoes, what are you intending to do? Go somewhere, right? When you come home and it's relaxed time, what do you do? Or what should you do? What does your wife want you to do, right? You should take your, your mom. She wants you to take your shoes off, okay? But when you put your shoes on, you're going. That's, it represents the commissioning of Christ. What did Jesus say? Did he say stay? No, he said go into all the world. Bring the gospel, this message of peace, that people can have peace with God. It's a going ministry. It's a stretching ministry. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable ministry. We are not here on the planet to gather more stuff and get through life safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. Listen, God has given us all things for his enjoyment. Our enjoyment, if God's given you some blessings, enjoy them, enjoy them. But remember that as you're enjoying, enjoying them, you're going to. And you have a gospel ministry and of course, then there's practical implications. Let us see that as we have peace with God, it helps others make peace with others. Yes, there is a relational peace that comes from the gospel. So if we're going to have peace with others, yes, genuine peace is built on righteousness and truth. If you're a human being, you've been sinned against, and therefore you have wounds in your heart towards someone else. And if you're a human being, you've sinned against someone else. And they have wounds against you. And so I'm not talking about sweeping righteousness and truth under the rug. But I am talking about what Pastor Andrew challenged us with last week. As from the words of Jesus, we're supposed to be merciful. If we're a merciful group, that means we're compassionate and we're forgiving. That, that we're quick to forgive. And we're quick to make peace. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this because we're going to read a really important text. Because some of you right now are saying, Pastor Sean, you don't, you're asking me to forgive someone. You don't know what happened to me. What someone did to me was a crime. That could be, someone could be sitting there. Like it was a crime. How do I forgive that? Forgiveness is turning justice over to God. Everybody with me? It's like, you know what? You don't owe me a debt. I've already been forgiven the greatest debt, my sin debt against God Almighty. He forgave me. And so since God forgave me, who am I to withhold forgiveness against someone else? But justice, I'm letting go of. That's up to the Lord. Paul teaches that, us that in Romans chapter 12. Check this out. As far or if possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, one of the most fascinating parts of the crucifixion of Christ to me is when we read about Jesus interacting with Pontius Pilate. It's a really fascinating interaction. 
Pontius Pilate looks at Jesus and says, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you or release you? And Jesus, the son of God, who is God, who has the right to take vengeance, says something very, very important. He says, he looks at Pilate and he says, you would what? Anybody know what he says? You would have no authority if it didn't come from where? My heavenly father. Listen, there's nobody that has authority in your life that it wasn't given to them by God the father. And therefore, what Jesus is saying to Pilate is, yeah, you have authority. I submit to your earthly authority because it's been given to you by God the Father. And guess what? You answer to God for the authority that you've been given. In fact, by the way, if you read the rest of that text, you realize, man, Pilate gets pretty nervous about it. He actually takes a little break and he goes into his own meeting rooms like, I better think about this. So when you're under someone's authority, that person will be held accountable for the authority that's been given to them by God. Everybody with me? By the way, if you have authority, you're going to be held accountable to the authority that God has given you. James chapter 5, by the way, is one of my most intimidating passages of Scripture. Let not many of you become teachers. As such, you will incur a stricter judgment. Huh. About to resign right now. Right? So anytime God gives authority, vengeance is his. We don't have to seek revenge because that's up to God. Our job is to be peacemakers. And why is that? Because we take on, if we know the God of the Bible, he's the God of peace. We reconciled with him through the gospel of Jesus. We take on the family resemblance, right? Do you ever notice how people look like their dogs? Right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, you see a picture of them, and you're like, goodness, you guys look exactly alike. Like, it's crazy. Like, we, we take on the family resemblance. I, I never know what to say to cat people. But anyway, um, listen, if you're a Christian, you take on the family resemblance. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they shall be called the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God. Once we know God, we become peacemakers. And so a Christian is not divisive unnecessarily. You're not in your community. You're not on your workplace. You're not in your church. You're not in your social media platform unnecessarily spinning up division, unnecessarily quarrelsome, unnecessarily disruptive. We're, we're people that are like, as best we can, as much as it depends on me, I want to make peace. Now, it's not peace at the cost of righteousness and truth, but it is peace of, man, I'm going to let God take care of justice. That's, that's not my peace in this. Everybody with me? All right. Number two, here's the second point this morning. This one's weighty, okay? So before I turn to the scripture, this one's weighty, okay? Um, I've been wrestling with this text all week in my spirit because there's no way that this scripture makes any sense unless you're heavenly-minded. This scripture will reveal how, and, and it's been a wrestle for me, it's revealed it in my own heart. This scripture will reveal how much your heart and mind and soul are gripped with the things of earth rather than the things of heaven. 
Everybody with me? So with that as a kind of a cornerstone, let's read this. Ready? Matthew 10, 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. By the way, Jesus isn't talking about suffering and persecution because our bodies are breaking down, right? I'm suffering because my knee hurts or whatever. Like that's kind of just part of the sin nature and the breakdown of the human body. Jesus is talking about being a Christian and being taking a stand for holiness and righteousness and suffering. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in your 401k. Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? For those that they persecuted, the prophets who were, because for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those, number four, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Listen, I really, really believe uh, that the church in America needs to give some serious attention to the words of Jesus in these verses. The the days of, of going to a Bible-believing church in America so that you look like a good community leader or member is quickly coming to an end. The days of of going to a Bible-believing, I'm being very careful with my words, not just any old church, a Bible-believing church. When it opens the Word of God, it says, Thus saith the Lord. The days of going to a Bible-believing church so that you can network and make business contacts that will help you on Monday morning, those days are quickly coming to an end. To be a Bible-believing Christian in America is probably going forward, it's probably going to cost you something. Because true Christianity is becoming increasingly marginalized. At best, you're going to be thought of as a nutcase. That's at best. When we read our Bible, does it take many passages of Scripture for us to understand that life begins at conception? It's our job to protect life. And that's going to make you pro-life. And if, if you're going to make a public statement in the current environment that you're pro-life, it could cost you your job. We're seeing that happen, by the way. Yes? And by the way, I'm not talking politics here. I am. 
please don't like it. He's getting, here he goes again. Getting, I am not talking politics. I have zero hope that any political leader is going to bail us out of the mess we're in. Zero. My personally, my last two elections, I held my nose and voted. So I really didn't like any of my, can I try to find a candidate that most pictures of Christian worldview and vote for them? But, and I think we should do that by God's grace, we get to do that. But if you believe that gay marriage is not marriage, but in, in fact, a sinful union that God created them, Genesis one, male and female, and that. Biblical marriage is one man, one woman in the confines of a committed marriage for a lifetime till death do us part. If you believe that that's marriage and anything other than that is a sinful union, it may cost your business something. Yes? I, I, I get emails and appointments on the regular of people sitting with me and go, Pastor Sean, like, I believe that God created gender to be biological. And I've got somebody at work that wants me to change their pronoun. I've got an employee or a student that wants me to use a different pronoun that I, in my conscience, I feel like I'm lying to them. We can't have peace without the truth. And so I just, I can't use the pronoun of choice that they want me to use. And, and there are people sitting with me going, what do I do? It may cost you something to be a Bible-believing Christian. Churches are going to feel the pinch. I suspect that churches that are Bible-believing may lose their tax-exempt status, which means that you'd have to pay taxes on your properties that the churches own. And, I suppose, and if that happens, you won't get a tax write-off on your donations. Do you think donations in Bible-believing churches are going to go down? Anybody? They shouldn't. Right? They shouldn't. The early church didn't tithe to their local church for a tax write-off. They tithed because it was the command of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Listen, and unless your, your head is in the sand, you can see it coming. How many of you does this go, man, this makes me really nervous right now. I'm nervous. I said, you ready? Look, everybody's handling gold because they're lying. Everybody's nervous, okay? You ready for this? This does not make me sad or scared or nervous at all regarding the success of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody with me? If you squeeze the bride of Christ, then the sovereign God shows up and shows off and defends his bride. Amen? History shows that if you squeeze the bride of Christ, the gospel just catches fire in more and more hearts. The gospel does not lose. It spreads when it's persecuted. It shouldn't scare us at all. We should be excited. How many of you want to see revival come to this land? I, for one, do, right? Yeah. 
Those of us, me too, I have my hands up, I'm clapping with you. How many of us have our hands up and are clapping and are going, but what if it costs me something? What if, as a church, someone gets laid off or fired from their job because they still can stand for holiness and righteousness, and we as a church go, you know what, I'm not going to put so much into my 401k. I'm going to take care of a brother or sister in Christ and make sure they have food on the table and their mortgage is paid and their family's taken care of. What if the church did that? The rest of the world would step back and go, those people are crazy. And I'd like to be a part of that kind of crazy. That kind of love, that kind of sacrifice. Yes, maybe we enjoy less earthly reward. Remember I told you this passage makes zero sense if you're worldly minded. Yes, maybe we enjoy less earthly reward. There are many, many promises in God's word that let us know that heavenly eternal reward is actually greater for those who suffer for the cause of righteousness. Amen? I say this week in and week out, we are not heavenly minded enough. Jesus talks about two kinds of persecution. He says you're going to be verbally persecuted, letter A, right? Did you know that the early church, did you know that the early church was persecuted severely by Roman government? And do you know that as they were feeding the early church Christians to the lions, do you know how they were getting away with it in the Roman culture? They were telling the Roman culture that the early Christians were cannibals. Now you may be saying, well, what? How did the early church get the name cannibal? Like, that's insane. They got the name cannibal because the Roman culture found out that they were taking the Lord's Supper and they were reading John 6, where Jesus says, metaphorically, says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And so the Roman culture spun it up that they're cannibals and the whole culture clapped as they fed them to the lions. As they stood on truth. Do you, anybody in this room feel marginalized by what you believe the Bible teaches? Like, hey, I can't answer the whole gender debate in 140 characters or less. It's a little more complex than that. So we get marginalized in this current culture of deconstruction where no word means anything because it's not grounded in anything, and it's not grounded in anything because we've deconstructed Romans 1, we've worshipped other gods, and so there's no meaning to anything anymore. Amen? So sure, we're going to get verbally criticized. Jesus said you'll be physically criticized. Throughout history, Christians have suffered physically for the gospel. John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also, what, church? Persecute you. And so let me close with this, like number five. Let's look at the attitude and the outlook for those who are persecuted. So if you're going to be blessed while persecuted, there's an attitude that we need to have and an outlook that we need to have. And it's in Matthew 5, verse 12. So Jesus, in the context of talking about suffering for the cause of the gospel, says, Rejoice 
and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, rejoice for your reward is great, Jesus says. Listen, this attitude can only happen if you're eternally minded. If you're not sucked in by the things of the world. If you see your life, your 70 or 80 years as a vapor, a short season to serve the Lord. You're only going to see suffering and difficulty for righteousness' sake as a good thing unless you have the mind of delayed gratification that as a Christian I'm indeed saving and storing a reward that's eternal, not earthly. In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to a church, a church in Smyrna. This is what he says. Revelation 2 verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Yes, they had earthly poverty, but Jesus saw them as rich. But you're rich. By the way, those of you who've gone on a missions trip and you've worshipped with other Christians in serious third world poverty, do you leave that church thinking that they have more than you? Anybody? Every time I leave going, they got something I don't have. They have a faith in the Christ that I don't have. I know your tribulation, your poverty, but that you're rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they're not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in the prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I don't know exactly what the crown of life is, but it's eternal. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. He will not be hurt by the second death. Amen, church? We need to be eternally minded. Letter B, when we suffer, we're in good company, Jesus says. The prophets suffered too. In Hebrews chapter 11, often called the hall of faith, the first 30 verses of this hall of faith are these men and women who suffer or who lived on this earth in faith and God blessed them here on earth. And there's times that happens. God blesses us. We, we, as most Americans, we live a very, very blessed life in many, many ways. But, and sometimes God does that. But then he says this in verse 36, says for 30 verses of blessing to those who follow Lord. He says in verse 36 of Hebrews chapter 11, but others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Verse 38 is amazing. Let it sink in. And of whom the world was not worthy. The author of Hebrews is saying those that suffered for the cause of the gospel, this world isn't even worthy for them. Amen? Doesn't that make you a little envious? Somebody like, no, not really. Okay, but yeah, like, isn't there something that when someone suffers for the gospel, and by the way, don't you wonder if you if God called you to suffer for holiness and righteousness sake, don't you wonder if you would survive the test? Anybody here wonder that? Like, man, I wonder if like, you ready? Let me encourage you. You will. You're like, Pastor Sean, how do you know? Because it's what I think we use the language future grace. 
You don't get the grace that you need to go through a difficult time in advance. You get it when you need it. Everybody with me? And so God, you know, whatever, you look to your past. We've all been through hard times. You go through a hard time, what does God do? He meets you in the hard time, and he gives you the grace to sustain your faith and persevere. So if he did it in the past, you can be assured he's going to do it in the future. And when the moment comes that you might need an additional measure of God's grace, he's going to show up and give it to you. Amen, church? All right, I want to finish with a story, (laughs) and then we'll go out singing this morning. This is a story I've told before, so if you've heard it before, forgive me, but it's one of my favorite, favorite stories. The story is told uh, of a young man that was born October 8th, 1927. He was born in Portland, Oregon. He grew up in a Christian home. His dad was a preacher, and his mom ran around the house bringing up her children, constantly saying to her children, live for Christ, live for Christ, live for Christ. In the 40s, this young man went to high school, and and he had, by earthly standards, he had it all. He was a great athlete. He was a great public speaker. He joined the debate team. He also acted in the school dramas, and because he had so much talent, several of the people around him said, go make a difference with your life. Go to Hollywood. But during his college years, God began to stir in him something, a burden for international missions work, and so he, he, and, and while he was there, God began to stir even more and, and, and challenge him to reach a group of people that had never heard of the gospel of Jesus. So he began to pray about going to what we would call an unreached people group, a, a group of people on the planet that don't have a church, don't have the gospel, have never heard about Jesus. And he graduated college and he, he got offered a really nice American church pastoring position, which his parents said, you should take that job. But this young man could not escape this burden. And so he went to Ecuador and God began to impress on his heart this little tribe in Ecuador called the Wadani tribe. And he began to get a burden to reach this tribe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Wadani tribe was known to be extremely violent to outsiders. So in 1952, he began to work with four other missionaries, and they developed a burden and a passion to reach the Wadani tribe. And they got a hold of an airplane, and they began to circle the Wadani tribe with the airplane with a loudspeaker and just talk to them in their language. Then they began to drop gift baskets. And finally, when the plane would come, enough people from the village would come out that they thought they had made inroads. And so they decided to land the plane on a riverbank one day and make physical contact with a handful of people from the Wadani tribe, and they thought they'd really made a great connection. And the villagers of the, of the Wadani tribe, they went back to the village, and they lied about the intentions of the missionaries. And by the end of that day, on January 8, 1956, at the age of 29, Jim Elliott and four missionary companions were killed by 10 Wadani tribal warriors. And you would look at that and go, what a waste of life. 29 years old, you had everything in front of you. And inside of Jim Elliott's journal from several years earlier was written this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. Jim Elliott, dead at 29, said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep gain what he cannot lose. Some may look at this story and say, man, what a waste of life. Now, God in his grace 
allowed this story to be picked up by Life Magazine. If you don't know what Life Magazine is, it was the internet in the 20s. I mean, in the 50s, okay? So the internet picked up the story, and it went viral. And led by Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, who's now widowed, they took a team, and they were able to plant a church in the Wadani tribe. You can read about it in a book called Through Gates of Splendor. You can also watch the movie uh, Through the Eyes of the Pilot, Nate Saint, in a movie called The End of the Spear. Jim Elliott was a man who considered what a bargain it was to pursue God at all costs. Jim Elliott was a man that considered it a bargain to pursue the kingdom of God wholeheartedly. Jim Elliott was a man that thought, why not exchange the temporal for the eternal? This is the mindset that Jesus is encouraging us to have. Maybe we will, maybe we won't be persecuted for righteousness' sake. But the mindset is a mindset that says, I will exchange the temporal for something that is far superior. Amen? And when we do that, we turn the whole battle over to the Lord. We just sang about it. We clapped about it, right? The battle belongs to the Lord. We say, God, I'm living for something far bigger than this world. And I'm trusting that in this spiritual battle, I am willing to submit and suffer for the cause of the gospel. But in that, I understand that you indeed, O oh God, win the battle. Amen, church? The battle belongs to you. And so we're going to go out singing that this morning. Before we do, I want you, church, to have a blessed 2023. Guess what? Jesus want you to have a blessed 2023. But this is what the blessing of God looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you if others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven because they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to be blessed in 2023 and thirst for righteousness. The meek will inherit the earth. The peacemakers are the sons of God. If they persecute you, rejoice for you're storing up heavenly reward. He is no fool who exchanges what you can't keep anyway for that for which you can never lose. Amen, church? Amen. Hey, listen, if you need prayer today, 
our prayer team's here for you. Prayer team, come on up. They're under the screens. Don't leave without prayer this morning. Let me bow. I want to pray over you. And then we're going to go out reminding our hearts and minds through song. We have a warrior king that does not lose. And the battle belongs to him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church body. They are, these are some of the most amazing people, God. I'm so humbled by this church. God, forgive us when we fail. We, none of us is perfect in this journey. God, all of us in this room, we're honest. We, we want to live a blessed life, God. We understand that to be blessed by you is opposite of the rest of the way the rest of the world thinks. We've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness, meekness, God, purity of heart, peacemakers. heavenly-minded. And God, if we're honest, we fail so many times, which brings us right back to the cross of Jesus. We are reminded how much we need your son, Jesus. Yes, to save us, and yes, to live moment by moment for you. And so, God, may you be gracious and merciful to us, and may we live under the umbrella of your blessing not for our own benefit, but for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the while reminding when we face hardship, God, you are a warrior king that is going to win the battle in your timing and in your way. The battle belongs to you. We submit to you in the journey. Dennis, in Jesus' name I pray.